Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> the man who's three inspired the Curry family. Pulls it up. I don't exaggerate. I congratulate. With another masterpiece. It's time for you know who my man Seiku. Go airborne. It's Seiku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. Take it away. Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. Seiku Smith. Your man here in Atlanta. We've got another great show lined up for you, as always, here on the podcast. Loving what's going on around the NBA, and that means we got to reach out and touch some of our favorite people. Uh, we got a couple guests lined up for you today. First and foremost is the legend himself, Michigan man, Seattle native Jamal Crawford, joins us on the podcast. And a little bit after that, we will talk to the newest, freshest face on the NBA.com NBA TV roster. Michael C. Wright, our correspondent out in Texas. But first, let's break it down a little bit from what we've seen with Jamal Crawford. Jake crossover with it. Oh, killer crossover. Oh, get me off. One of these days you're going to get an extra point for breaking an ankle like that. <laughs> it is Jay Crawford. Mr. Four-point play knocks one down. That's the 55th of his career. Bingo, oh. bango. There he goes. 10,000 points off the bench. One of only three in the history of the game. Heat check. Noted. He's got 51. Wow. Fourth different team with 50 or more. Three times he has won the sixth man of the year in the NBA. But nobody's stopping Jamal Crawford. Anything you can do, I can do. Some way, somehow, he has maintained it. And now he's putting on a show out here for everyone. I just want to get up and bow. Always good to talk to this guy. Uh, and, and I always make sure to point out he's a Michigan man. Don't anybody ever forget that. He don't, is a don't forget man. that. <laughs> <laughs> My man, Jamal Crawford, joining us from Seattle. Man, how are you, bro? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm digging in on another season, man. And, and before we go any further, I know you're ready. I know you, I know you have yourself in tip-top shape and ready to go. So give me an update. Like, what, are, you, are you waiting, just waiting to see what happens, waiting to hear? Yeah, just being patient. I mean, obviously – uh, you know, I would love to start the season. It feels kind of weird because it's the first time in almost two decades that I haven't, you know, start with a team when the season starts. So it's a little weird in that regard, but I'm just staying positive and staying patient and hope for something, you know, comes up and something worth going to. So like you said, I'll be ready. I'm always ready and in shape and ready to go. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, finding a situation that, that will, you know, want to have me and somewhere that I think fits both parties. Um I've been watching social media and uh, Karan Butler. A lot of guys been out there like beating the drum. Like, what's up? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> why is this guy not on a team? And it, it it got me to thinking, Jamal. I was I was having a conversation with one of your former teammates, Al Horford, the other day about uh-huh. how long guys play. If somebody played ten, twelve years, that was considered a, a fantastically long career. Um, right now. Guys are playing into the deep teens, reaching almost two full decades in the league. Do you think 
something has changed maybe in the training, the technology? I mean, what do you think has led to this generation of players playing so deep into these careers? Well, like Al said, I think, you know, definitely the technology has improved and it's still improving. There's always new ways to recover and take care of yourself. Uh, we have so many different people that help out behind the scenes. You know what I mean? There's so much information you can get to kind of, you know, even when you're not with the team per se, like, you know, at the training facility or whatever, mm-hmm. you can read up on, they give you information. So there's different things you can do to help recover. But like I mentioned before, I think the physicality of the game, you know, not being as physical, it's not as taxing on your body, you know. So with that, I think you, you play longer as well. As long as you stay in shape and, and stay active and stay doing what you do, I think you, you have a better chance of playing a longer period of time. So much of it is now this this uh, the amount of money, time, and energy everybody spends, even outside of their team, you know, in physical preservation and training and obviously, like, I know you play ball year-round. I, I Oh yeah, out yeah there in the there's no, there's no days yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, you're like you playing all the time. How do how do guys not break down playing as much basketball as I know y'all play? Because even when you know a team could tell somebody, "Hey man, take take a month and relax," and you've had a long season, just chilling. Like y'all go find a y'all go find a game somewhere. Well, see, the way I always looked at it and viewed it was a little bit different. You know, I looked at it the opposite way. So, obviously, you know, let's say you're in New York and you have a job there and you're there, you're based there for a year, right? But you, you were living in Los Angeles the whole time, so you took that job in New York. Well, when you come back home to Los Angeles, you know, in the summer or whatever, and you haven't turned on the lights in the house or tur- started the car in a year or, you know, a, a period, a long period of time, they may not work as, as smoothly. They may, the lights may pop or the, the car may need to jump. You know what I mean? So the way I look at it is as long as you're already in shape, you keep your body going, even if it's not the same intensity level as the NBA games, as long as you're playing, you're doing yoga, you're staying active, I think it's, it's, it's better for your body. You know, it's not the shock to your body when you take a month off or two months off to come back and then things start hurting and not working as smoothly or as properly. So for me, I've always looked at it that way and it's worked, you know, going on almost two decades. I, I would say that was one of the main things that's kind of worked for me. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, man. I think it's just a really interesting topic. I'm going to explore it deeper this season too. I, re- I really am. I'm going to start talking to some vets and, and guys who play deep into their careers to find out what's been the key, what worked for them specifically. Um, you, yeah, you, yeah. You're a guy who didn't transform physically. Like you didn't gain 35 pounds before, you know, no. you, you see some guys that come in the league and look one way and they, they get that man weight on them. Like, you know, I remember when LeBron first came in the league and he was, he was already a physical specimen. But what he has become since then is into right, yeah, yeah, it's just mind-boggling. How did you not pack on all that extra poundage and still stay as viable as you have all these years? I know you got everybody knows you like the uh, the crossover king. I mean, that's not a the handle has always been next level. But was it strictly about skill level for you and just knowing how to to continue to hone those sharp skills? Or was it something else? Because you, you obviously, like you said, you didn't, you never weighed two hundred twenty pounds. You never got huge. Yeah, my quickness was more of an advantage. I, I realized that I wasn't going to be, you know, have the LeBron physique or you know, even Michael Jordan for that matter, because he was six six one ninety eight at one time. Then he got up to two fourteen after taking those beatings from the Knicks and from the Pistons, and he got stronger. And I wasn't going to be able to put that kind of weight on. So I said, how can I look at it another way? to kind of fit my game and, and fit, you know, how I play. And I thought just being quicker, being more crafty, you know, I thought, and, and that goes into the skill set as well. And then after that, 
I've seen the NBA kind of transform, transform as far as, like I said, the physicality. So now if you can shoot the basketball and if you can handle the basketball, in the NBA you're kind of unguardable, you know, because it's like, okay, if we if he's a shooter, run him off the line, make him put him on the ground and make him make a play. Well, if you can do both those things, well, now you're unguardable, you know. So I thought you would always have success as long as you can kind of do both those, kind of cover both those main bases. If you can shoot and you can dribble and make plays, I always thought there was a place for you. And, you know, you see guys now. You see Steph Curry. You know, you see Steve Nash when the M- two MVPs. You see Steph Curry doing the same thing. And it's just like, you know, when you, those those guys aren't the biggest guys or the most athletic or, you know, but they're so skilled and they're so crafty and they know angles and they know how to manipulate the game, so to speak. So, you know, I, I thought I could kind of fit in that mode rather than be a, a physical specimen. Everybody has a different kind of path. It's just very unique. I mean, um, you, you've had an interesting journey in that you have played for several franchises that yeah. have a very interesting history. You, you played for a Warriors franchise that for anybody that's not 17, this might be breaking news <laughs> to you, but the Warriors have not always been. They did exist, right? before. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know it's hard to wrap your head around that if you're a teammate. It is. There was a right, time when the Warriors is. weren't championship caliber. Um, you played for the Clippers, who yep. don't have the greatest history in terms history, of right. being being a, a How strange is it to you now looking at what the Warriors have been and continue to be potentially into the future and what the Clippers are now, uh, knowing what you know about those cities, playing for those teams, those franchises, and what the view is of them now, as as of right now, in terms of where they are. So when I, the Warriors, to answer the first part, at the Warriors, I was there right after the We Believe, right. So that was after Baron Davis, uh, Monte, Stephen Jackson, those guys were there, and then Baron left. So I still got a chance to play with Jack and with Monte and those guys. But the one thing I respected so much about them is, even though we were going through a tough time when I was there, because I came over, you know, right after the season started, mm-hmm. the fans were there every single night. Like their energy, I was like, this is unbelievable because we weren't the We Believe team. We were kind of in transition, you know, uh, and it was just to see the energy and it was electric in there every single night. I'm like, wow, if they ever get back to that We Believe era, it's going to be crazy. You know, I didn't see, I didn't foresee, obviously, the championships and the run they've been on, but I just knew the fans were always there. So I've always respected their fans. And obviously they gained a lot of new fans as well. I'm into that arena every single night. I had nothing but respect for in that city. And obviously they've had they'll go down as a you know a dynasty you know twenty years from now we'll talk about them you know all the finals appearances in a way they kind of change the way some kids and how basketball is viewed you know because for a long time it was like oh you can't win a championship being a jump shooting team right and these guys got two of the best shooters ever and then KD came and now you got three of the best shooters ever on one team you know and they won that way and so uh, I think they'll be talked about and appreciated a lot more you know decades down the line and then with the Clippers obviously everybody kind of knows their past past history even before I got there you know from the Blonde Harper era and then moving on up and then going to you know Blake and DJ in the Lob City right. we felt like when I was there we had this chance that these guys have right now to win a championship people forget uh the year we got up 3-1 on Houston that we beat the Spurs in the first round and the Spurs had just right. won the championship the season before Unbelievable. Yeah. you know so we felt like we were like if we could beat them we could beat anybody you know, because they won the championship against Miami. You can look it up. I think they were like 22-3 and three to end the season. Yeah. So they were peaking at the right time. And no, I remember Zach Randolph, right? We played Memphis late in the season. 
And I was like, Zach, who do you think you guys are going to match up with? It was probably the last game of the season, one of the last games. And he was like, man, I don't know, but I don't want it to be San Antonio that first round. So we, everybody was like, no, nah, we don't want them. Right. And we ended up playing them as one of the better first-round uh, contests I can remember in recent history. And so when we beat them, then got a 3-1 on Houston, we was like, oh, this is our year to do it. You know, so to see these guys now, you know, they feel like obviously this is their chance to do it. And it's cool to watch and kind of, you know, not be so close to the situation that you're in the moment and, you know, everything's the biggest thing when you're in it and everything's the end of the world when you lose. So when you forecast this league now and look around mm-hmm. and we, we've gone from the the big three era, I call it, when Boston got together and kind of ushered yep. in that whole situation to now we're transitioning out of the big three slash super team era. We got all these dynamic duos around the league. We got – Two, you know, two superstars here, two superstars there, two super, you know, each, you can go around, look at each and every team that's considered a contender and, and identify these two top players. But then I look at the teams that will separate themselves and kind of like what I saw from Toronto last year, you got to have an elite level supporting cast if you're going to win a championship now. That's, that's the way I look at it. Like you got to have those Kyle Lowry level, Mark Gasol level, uh, young stud like Pascal Siakam, like you got to have that kind of supporting group around whoever your two stars are to win it. So when when you look at it from from a player's perspective, is that how the championship matrix appears to you? To guys that are actually playing, do you look at it and say, all right, who's who are their two stars, and then who's that quality group around? Them? Who's that Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell supporting cast around? Them? That's exactly how I look at it. But that's how I kind of grew up looking at it, to be honest with you. You know, in the Bulls, it was Jordan and Pippen. And then you had the Paxons and the Horace Grants and everybody who were kind of stars in their roles. When you looked at, uh, you know, the Lakers and you look at the Celtics, obviously they had more of the stars, but still it was like two main, main scores, two main guys and the pieces around them. And I like it better this way, to be honest with you, because yeah. it, it, to me it takes a little bit more figuring out, you know, how are these pieces going to work? How are these, uh, you know, pieces going to fit? around these two guys who are the right pieces to fit around these two guys. And, and I think that's what's, what's really cool about it. And they have, I don't want to say a whole season, but they have, you know, maybe a half season to figure out, okay, this is how we're going to play. This is going to be our style. These are, these two are going to mesh. Am I going to stagger these two's minutes because they're both on the perimeter? Am I going to, you know, like the Lakers, for example, am I going to stagger AD and LeBron, you know, in the first set because they're both are, you know, two of the great, great players in the league. How are they going to play off each other? What's going to be around them? All those things are really, really cool, and I think it comes down to some philosophy, some coaching uh, strategies, and how the players are going to sometimes may have to take a step back for the betterment of the team. So, so many interesting things to to watch, and there's also so many good teams now. There's probably like seven or eight teams that believe they can win a championship, and the league hasn't been like that in in years. Yeah, where seven or eight teams believe they can win it. Like and that's what makes it more competitive, and it makes it cool. So I'm watching every game and just watching different matchups and and different things, and, and it's it's really cool to see. And I think the league's in a really good place. You you're on a certain part of your career um, after all these years in, but when you look at the young players, and I know you, I know you are plugged in with so many of them. But who are some of the young yeah. guys that you really enjoy watching? in today's NBA and, to, and, and that are on the scene now. And, and like I said, I know you know all of them. You, they all know you. Um, mo- a lot of them have probably been through to play in the crossover league. Um, but who, who sticks out in your mind, just guys you enjoy watching play? 
Wow, that's a good question. There's so many young guys. I really like the guys who really love the game, who really have a true passion for the game. You know, and I think, uh, obviously, I watch. I love watching Booker and Aiton. I love watching uh, Ja down in Memphis, mm-hmm. uh, Donovan Mitchell in, in Utah. You know, so many guys. Uh, is Greek Freak still con- considered a young player or not? <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. I think he's kind of – I don't, I don't know either. He kind of may have graduated, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I like Embiid, obviously. I like the way Jokic plays and how he style of play. There's so many guys out there, yeah. you know, who – who who. it's so much talent, and they're so young, and it's so cool because you'll get a chance to watch some of these guys like we talked about the next 15 years, yeah. you know, and then there'll be somebody else coming. Yeah, you know, I still love watching Kyrie. You know, he's not the youngest uh, in NBA terms, but he's he's must see TV. I can't wait till Kevin gets back. Yeah. Obviously, LeBron. You know, there's so many great players. I like watching Dane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so many great players to watch, and it's still it's just so even a guy like Chris Paul, right? And who I played with, just watching him because now I know he's playing a different game. Like he's playing with his mind first. How am I? How am I going to set this up? How am I? Gonna, you know what I mean? So it's just different challenges along your journey. And it's just really cool to watch all these guys evolve and keep going. At the end of last year, um, you, you kind of sent up a flare. Just a reminder for anybody that was curious, <laughs> you still get buckets. Like, you know, and I remember people like, man, Jam- like I remember the night it happened, Twitter was going berserk. Like, yo, this dude is right. still getting, you know, can still get 50. Um, for, for a lot of guys, I know they reach a point in their career where they, they recognize, okay, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an older player. I've been in the league a long time, and I'm not maybe able to do the things I could do when I was young. It was like watching D. Wade and Dirk last year during these farewell tours right. they did. And, you know, great players, but clearly beyond what they were at their best. You, you've had a, a skill set to me that's kind of transcended time in terms of being – like you've always been able to get buckets to this day able to do it. Is there something about – being able to go out there and cook like that, that never goes away. Like, are you, and I always, this is my analogy I give people. One time when I was a young cat, when I was in my like my early twenties, I came to Atlanta and we went to run and shoot. It's, it's like all day, all night. Right. Oh, yeah. And it was an old guy in there with cut off jean shorts, like in a tank top <laughs> and some black socks. And he was killing uh-huh. me. When I tell you killing he was killing people. people, it was unbelievable. So we nicknamed him Pops. And every time we came, it, it was you know, a show. Yeah, Pops yeah, gonna like, do his thing. Yeah, like man, please let Pops be in here today. Like I'm, I get the feeling you're gonna be that guy one day, sixty-five. He'll give me out bucket. So, so let me let me take you a full circle type of way, right? So, uh-huh. I went to Phoenix thinking that we we're gonna try to compete for the playoffs. You know, we had some vets with Ryan Anderson, Tyson, Trevor, myself. And then, obviously, within the first month, Tyson's gone, Trevor's gone, Ryan's not really playing, I'm not really playing. So I think from the outside looking in, the frustrating part for me is, you know, it's, it's common sense, right? You're a fan, you're like, oh, he's older, he's not be able to do the same things because obviously if he was, he'd be playing. But it's not always that easy because sometimes teams want to develop young talent. So I had some practices where I was, like, cooking, but the, the general fan didn't see it. You know what I mean? So – that last month when I got a chance to actually, like, everybody's hurt, just go play, I averaged 31 for the month. That's my highest scoring month in my career. Think about that. 19 years, that's my highest scoring month in my career. I averaged 31. The second highest was 26 in a month, and that's when I was in Golden State in 2009, 10 years ago. So if I told you at 39 years old, I'm going to have my highest scoring month in my career, oh, yeah, I'm going to get 50, and oh, yeah, it's going to be off the bench. You'd be like, man, you out your mind. Like, if I would have told you that, you know what I mean, like in the season yeah. – 
when I wasn't playing, just being a mentor, you'd be like, you're out your mind. But that's, I guess, the challenge that was for me because I know I could still play, but also know that we got to help develop these young guys and it's more about them growing than me getting 50. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. even though I know I could still play, it's just kind of situational. They didn't really need me to score or need me to play. Oh, yeah, they don't play point guard. You know, so I'm, I'm going to go out there and try to set guys up. So now if you look at my numbers, like, oh, he averaged seven, eight, whatever points. It's like, oh, he fell off. He's getting older. Like, nah, nah, nah. This is what, what the role is. I'm going to do the role to the best of my ability. I think that shows a lot of character that I wasn't fighting that role because of the perception of what people were going to say. So when I got my chance to answer your question, I got my chance to hoop, just go play, it was going to happen. Right. And in that month when I averaged 31, we won half the games. I was the fourth leading scorer in the month. And I would have never even predicted that by the way the season was going. But my wife did say, and she was like, you're going to get another 50-point game. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm not even playing right now. What What are you talking about? She's like, you're going to get a 50-point game? I'm telling you. I'm like, it, yeah, so it was crazy. And the first thing she said after that game was, well, you got to do it again. I wasn't there. I said, huh? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, you got to do it again. I wasn't there. I'm like, all right, all right. You, you mentioned something interesting, too, about entering young players. And I've, I've been watching with interest how guys transition into that next phase of their career. Some guys go into media, you know, and I always love to, you know, have players come and, and do what we do because it's, it gives us a chance to keep talking about all this stuff that we've all been watching for years. But then I watch – what Kobe Bryant is doing um, uh-huh. and, and impacting the game on the youth level. And I'm wondering what track do you see for yourself beyond playing in the league, whenever that ends, like what you, you already, I, I remember being out in Seattle watching your, your summer league. And then I'm, you had the, the young kids playing um, uh-huh. like in the all-star game that weekend. And Nate's Robinson's son was one of the little kids that was yeah. out there playing. And now I see yeah. I read where he's in high school. Like, He's in high school. He goes yeah. to our old high school, as a matter of fact. Yeah, right. yeah. which is crazy to me. Like, so is do you feel like the impact you could have going forward in the game is greater in the NBA machine, like you know maybe working in that area or outside of it at that grassroots level on up, being able to impact all across the board, boys, girls, everything. Yeah, well, I love that part of it. That's why I do camps. That's why I do. We even have a thing at the at the. Uh, crossover pro-am where we have a kids game at 12 it could be third grade fourth Mm. grade fifth grade all the way up and it's cool because for a lot of these kids and you know fourth fifth grade is the biggest stage most people they've ever played in front of they're getting their names on the mic right and they're like man i have my name on the microphone you know so like all those cool things and they're seeing pros right they can stick around all day the college players, the older high school players, the pros. So it's like every level is covered. So I'm going to always do that regardless. Yeah. But I think being the NBA uh, front office would be something that's just really cool. To me personally, and this is no disrespect to anybody, I feel like uh, we're taking advantage of our guys who really love the game, who know the game, being those front offices. You know, knowing what it's like to be in the locker room, knowing uh, what makes a, a player tick, knowing – uh, you know, how a player may perform before and after a contract. Like knowing all those different things and all those different elements that don't come from just numbers and, you know, the stats and different things. So yeah. I would love to be in the front office at some point. I've said that for years. I love putting teams together. I love watching basketball. I'll go to a 24-hour fitness or L.A. fitness and just watch guys play. You know, maybe I'll jump in the game, maybe I won't, but I'll just watch and see how teams are put together and how things I'm looking for. So it's just – you know, I know for a fact I'll be around the game, grassroots level, regardless, because I've been doing that for years, even if it's not, you know, documented, but also 
in the NBA level. I feel like we need more basketball minds in basketball. Yeah, you, you're a lifer, dude. You're a hoops lifer. I, I, I've already yeah, figured sure. that out. Like, you're going to be around this game forever. I, I told you before, uh, my best friend lives in Seattle as an assistant yep. principal at Rainier Beach. So when I was yep. my first time being out there, he took me to the Rainier Beach Community Center. And, like, where mm-hmm. I'm from in Michigan, we love playing basketball. Like, that, playing pickup ball with your boys, that's just a thing that you do. And I, being naive my first time being out that far away from home, I didn't realize how universal that was. Like, that we would get to Seattle and I'd be there for two weeks and we'd play ball every day for two straight weeks, yep. you know, at that same community. And the same dudes would be in there day after day. And I thought, yo, this, this game is universal in that when you love it, you love being around it. You're going to go to the gym every day and it's not going to seem like a task. And for you, no. it's never seemed like a chore for you. That's what I've always appreciated about your game, man. And about you in general, you love the game in a way, like you said, not everybody loves it the same way. That Not everybody has that passion. Um, and, I, and I hope you never lose that, obviously. Oh, no, I'll, I'll never. I have a T-shirt that says Ball's Life and I wore it. My wife is like, that's an understatement for you. Like, for me, <laughs> it's like, it, it's a whole different love like it's a whole different anything you know and it always be that way and it's just it grows stronger and there's different ways to kind of channel that obviously when you go from um, playing to not playing to you know all the different battles of whatever it may be from starter to six man to like your journey whatever your journey is but there's different ways to like you know a, a lot of times this year when I wasn't playing I got my first DMP this year by the way but when I wasn't playing I remember going after the games to work out that night like in the practice facility, you know, and I know like other teams would, would come in there because their food was in there. You know, they get food when they, before they go, they play and they were looking like, wow, like 19 years in still working out the game. Like, yeah, I loved it. I was, somebody was going to play one-on-one with me. I was going to play one-on-none and me and that. So, right. So I'm out there just playing. Imagine I'm playing against somebody shooting and going through workouts and, and things, but you just love the game. You just love it. And I'm like, you said, I'm a lifer. So I always do that. Man, that's what's up. Now, listen, I, in the meantime, my my campaign this year, I'm, I'm with Karan and everybody else. We got to get you and Joe Johnson on somebody's roster. Like, that's our mission. Right. You're like, you got too much ball left to be sitting on the sidelines watching this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely weird and it's definitely interesting because, you know, you can say, uh, you know, you can play a mentor role, you can still play or whatever. So it's interesting not to be playing right now, but I'm just going to, you know, leave it in God's hands and stay ready so I don't have to get ready. But one thing I will say is I didn't really – my career didn't take off until I started getting vets around me, you know, like, and I, I'm sure some experiences you have to go through your own, but the vet can be there to kind of uh, guide you or help you or save you some time from not doing something because they did or been through it or just solid advice. I, I don't think you can ever have enough of those guys in any sport and in life in general, if you're in the, the, you know, the acting industry, if there's a vet actor who, you know, right. been around and knows the ins and outs, I think it, it makes things a lot better. So. Yeah. We'll see how it plays out. Elders, man. You always learn from the elders. You learn from the example, the wisdom, and everything they do, man. And and I think there's a, a legion of players in the league right now who have learned from you. So um, we, we're right. Thank we're going to see so how much. it plays out. If you get tired of, you know, carpooling and need a little short break, come to Atlanta. We You know, you can stay at the house. We get you on the NBA TV. I'll go talk to somebody right now. We right. <laughs> you got too much to give to be to be away from the game, man. We you know we always appreciate you. you know that. I'm gonna take you up on that one day. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> All right, sir. Listen, appreciate you talking, and uh, take care, and hope to see you on the roster soon, man. Yes, sir. Thanks. All right. Always great to catch up with the vet 
Jamal Crawford, one of the best in the biz, you know, longtime performer, but also uh, a longtime friend of the program here. We've had him on before, man. Love talking to him. But with the old, and, and, the, and I mean that in the best way possible, there's also the new. And NBA.com has a new writer. NBA TV has a new correspondent in Texas covering that whole swath of the country, um, you know, in the NBA. Michael C. Wright is is now a part of our crew and uh, couldn't be happier to to welcome him here on the Hang Time Podcast. Yeah, I think it's very, very interesting to me. I think that there are other, other duos around the league that got together. Yeah. Kawhi uh, and Paul and Brian and Anthony and Kevin and Kyrie. As soon as me and James got together, <laughs> it was quickly. Yeah, the narrative was quick. Negative. Um, and to me, I think it's very, very interesting. Um, but I do think it's a – I'm always looking at it as a blessing. It's, it's great because um, I always look at it as if there's constantly things said about you in the media. Negatively, I feel like it's a positive. I don't know how I can – Use it as fuel, yeah. It's just a positive because I think it's, it's so great because you, I must – myself or James must be doing something very, very great unheard of to make you think that we can play together. It's a great way to look at it, yeah. Um, but I think it's amazing because we're so comfortable uh, with each other and how we play the game and what I'm able to bring to the game, what he's able to bring to the game. And um, it's something that we don't even worry about uh, because we know what we're capable of doing. Welcome into the Hangtime Podcast. Uh, our second episode of the new season allows us an opportunity to introduce the world to NBA.com's new and freshest Scribe, Mike Wright. And listen, Mike, before we get cranked up, it is, do you go by Michael C. Wright, Corleone, Mike? I mean, what? Somebody clearly had fame in your future when they gave you that name. So I'm trying to figure out. What right, you're right, right. Well, my dad was just a big fan of the Godfather, man. So <laughs> it was, I guess, man, because like when I was a kid back in the day, like, people used to make fun of my name. You know, Michael Corleone, they thought it was funny. And then, like, all of a sudden, I guess in the 90s, it got cool because I guess people started watching The Godfather again. And so now everybody's like, oh, you got the coolest name or whatever. So nah, trust man. me, my man, I get it at airports. Yes. I get it. Anytime you got to show your ID, I pretty much get it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really your name? It's right here on the ID, man. Yeah, man. That's Listen, <laughs> I, I, have, I am a staunch believer in parents foreshadowing what kind of life their children will lead. I, me and my wife had a long conversation when it came time to naming children. I was like, listen, as, as a man with a name like mine, I was like, let me have this. I got, I got this. I will make sure it's right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, that's dope, man. I, and listen, I'm, I'm very happy to, to get you on the podcast here, Mike. Um, not only is it great having you on the roster at NBA.com and NBA TV, um, just the perspective, man, just having somebody else with some fresh eyes on something that we look at all the time has been outstanding. You, you've been all over the league this first week of the season, man. You've done more traveling the first week than I do like in a whole season. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. It was crazy, but it was actually really fun. What, what, what is it that really stuck out to you over? I mean, what'd you do five games in like six days or something crazy? That's exactly what it was. Five games in six days. And three of those games were the Houston Rockets. So right. I got to see a lot of them. Got to see a lot of that. Um, I guess to see how the Russell Westbrook, James Harden experiment is going to go. And I can't lie to you, Seiko. I was, I was skeptical of it working, but I don't know, man. 
I don't know. I think it's going to work. I really think it's going to work because what you're seeing is, you know, when James Harden is out of the game, you know, and, you know, like, like going into that fourth quarter, he's out of the game and that gives Russ that, that chance to sort of take over the game. And then he comes back about midway through the fourth, James comes back, and now, you know, Russ is kind of, you know, he's gassed up. He's ready to go. And the next thing you know, you see James throwing Russ lobs and stuff like that. He's cutting to the basket and making plays that way. So, I, like I said, I was skeptical because both of those guys are really ball-dominant players. But, man, it, it, every game has looked better and better and better. I mean, you saw, like, the last two games, Russ, yeah. you know, he had a triple-double, and then he, he was like an assist away from a triple-double here the other night. So, I'm telling you, man, that's that's something to watch out for. Everybody thought that you know those would be that would be a combustible relationship. But that's not what it is, man. I think it's gonna work. Yeah. It's gonna look the, good. The the one thing that's really interesting to me, Mike, is in that people, you know, readers and fans of the league don't get to really soak up is the locker room environment around these teams. That's always interesting to me, popping in places and trying to diagnose you know, what makes the ecosystem work within a team? Like, what's that dynamic? And when CP was there, and I and I was in Houston the past couple of years for games, for the playoffs, two years ago, three years ago, you know, like all the way through, all the way to their run uh, against the Warriors when they lost in game seven. Um, and then last year I popped in and popped out of there. It was always a strange dynamic to me in that locker room. I couldn't figure out. Was it was James the Pied Piper in there, or was he the the kind of the 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 vibe and the heartbeat of that locker room, or was it CP? Uh, and I asked one of the vets. I'm not gonna out him, but three years ago I asked one of the vets. I said, "Do you think it was like right at the start of the playoffs?" I said, "Do you think this team can win a championship?" And he looked me dead in my face and said, "We got too many guys in here following James and not enough following Chris." He's like, he's like, I don't, I don't huh. think. So. And I was I was surprised to hear him say that because that's clearly James Harden's team, the the organization, right. the city. Everybody knows that's James's team. But do you think the ecosystem is right for them to win and win big with he and Russ? However, that dynamic is going to work. I actually do think it is. I think it's right because you know naturally Russ is going to defer to James. You know, and then plus they have that friendship off the court. Those guys have been friends since they were ten, eleven years old. So they can have those uncomfortable conversations with one another that, you know, might hurt, you know, another, another couple's, uh, it, it might hurt their feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they can have those tough conversations. And I think that with Russ sort of naturally deferring to James, I think that makes it all kind of everything sort of filters back to James. So everybody's following James this time around. So uh, I think it's a dynamic that's going to work, man. And get in the locker room now. It, it, it seems like there's a lot more love. You know, everybody's having a good time in the locker room. Thinking the vibe is a little weird because Chris's locker is across the thing. And then, you know, James is right when you come in. Right. And you did. So it seemed like it was, it, it was split a little bit. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think I saw the same thing. But this time around, man, like like I said, it just and it looks better and better every game. Like they're they're gradually figuring it out, and I think that is one thing that that you know it's only going to get better as the season prog- progresses. Because again, I didn't think it would work, but man, you're seeing you know Russ is driving and he's kicking, and he's never had all the shooters around him 
in Oklahoma City that he has here in Houston. And I think that's going to be a big part of it. It's, it's strange, too. Russ seems so much more willing to open up in these interviews I've been watching. I don't know what y'all said to him to, to make him so comfortable <laughs> in, the, in these preseason scrums or whatever, man. But he just seems – I don't know. Maybe it's the fresh start. Maybe it's – being oh, for sure. connected with a guy he's familiar with in James, it's allowed him to kind of come out of that shell he was in in OKC. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've asked Russ, and he's like, you know, you know, we've asked him, you feel like you have a, a new lease on life? And he's like, definitely. And I think that the, the fresh start is sort of everything when it comes to Russ. You know, it was funny, just like the other night uh, when they played OKC, you know, <laughs> it was funny because after the game was over and everything, you know, he had the whole line about, hey, you know, Spalding is my friend. I don't have no friends on the court, blah, blah, blah. And then it was cool because literally maybe two minutes after he said that last that last little line, he goes over to the uh, the Thunder locker room. Chris Paul is like, oh, you can't come up in here, man. Don't be coming up in here. You know, you know, the, you know the league can find you. You know, the league got me when I was with the Clippers, you know. And so all of them was laughing and everything, and it was just all love in that locker room. You know, Russ was hugging all his ex-teammates, and then he sat up with Chris for a long time. Those guys were just talking about Chris's locker. So, yeah, I think you're seeing a different a different Russ, a happier Russ. Wow. That, you know, and, and you know as well as I do, Mike, that's so, that's so important in this league to have whoever your stars are, whoever your, your guys are to make you go. They gotta be. They gotta be vibing. They can't have that relationship that Chris Paul and Blake Griffin had in, in with the right. Clippers because sooner or later it's gonna come to a head and something will have to be done. I I feel like James and Russ are both at points in their careers where they recognize if we don't change this thing and change how we operate, what we're sacrificing now, our window to win championships in our prime is going to pass. Yeah. I mean, and look, in Houston, let's be real about it. Their window is probably this this next three seasons. That's probably about as as wide as that window gets. And, you know, I've heard Pop uh, Spurs, you know, Spurs coach Greg Popovich, I've heard him talk about this a lot. And he said that, you know, when you've got that that camaraderie off the court and, and you have that tight relationship off the court, it makes you want to play for the other person. And, and, you know, I think that's huge. And a lot of people don't, like, they underrate the value of those relationships and that chemistry. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I can just put together, you know, just these three or four great players or three great players and, and we're going to win championships. It does not work that way, man. You know, and you've seen it. You, yeah. You've seen it, like, where and, – and, you know, because, like, I, w- I wish KD was ready to play right now, you know, because I want to see how that dynamic plays out with the Nets. Definitely. Again. It's all about those relationships, man. And sometimes you can have mediocre talent, and those guys can come together and play above what their talent level is because of those relationships. You mentioned Pop, and the rest of us are doing what we always do, Mike. We we forget about the Spurs. We overlook the Yeah, Spurs. you're writing them off. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're just, just kind of taking them for granted. And then I looked up, and I'm like, wow, they – they're they cooking a little bit early, which is not necessarily a Spurs thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, they don't necessarily right. come into a season feeling pressed about getting off to a great start and all that sort of stuff. Do, do they have a, a little bit of an energy boost, you think, getting DeJounte Murray back and just kind of recalibrating with that crew that they have down there now? Yeah, I think so. And but look, early on, you know, I'm thinking, oh, the Spurs ain't playing nobody, man. I mean, they had, they opened up with the Knicks. And 
you know, they opened with the Knicks and then they had uh, the Wizards. So you're thinking, eh, it's, you know, those aren't great teams. And then, you know, they get Portland the other night, their last game, right. and they were able to, you know, outlast the, the Blazers. And, you know, the Blazers got a – they got a mean backcourt with Dame and, um, and you know, CJ. So you, you're thinking that, okay, maybe this is the time that the Spurs come back to earth, but they ended up winning that game. And I think, yeah, I think they're rejuvenated because of DeJounte Murray at the point guard. He's back. But, you know, Derek White sort of had his coming out party in that opening round against the Nuggets last year in the playoffs, and he's back, you know. And DeMar DeRozan, he's kind of worked on his game over the summer. Um, He's going to be more comfortable going into year two in the system. And then you got LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, we we all talk about how his his game is dated, you know, that mid-range game is dated. Same thing with DeMar. But hey, man, those guys are making it happen with with that those outdated games. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it's been good to watch because I, I think they've got the ingredients to do something special. You know, I, I'm not saying they're going to win a championship, but they're they're going to surprise some people. You know, I, I could see them going and winning. You know, going into the playoffs and winning a round at least. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. It's it's weird too. The, the West has been talked about. You know, and everybody has their own set of you know. The t- what they think might be the top six, and then those four teams maybe after that that are going to be battling for those last two spots. I think it's too early to to really go beyond that first six. I'm, I'm, you know, in in whatever your six is, I think Dallas to me is is kind of an intriguing team, Mike. In that, if Porzingis and Luka Doncic can can crank it up on a consistent basis with a with a reasonably quality supporting cast. They become a real X factor in the West to me because I think Porzingis is is probably one of the better two way talents that for a guy that never gets credit for being as good defensively or as a rim protector as he is, and and we have also maybe forgotten about just how good he is because of the injury and we hadn't seen him in so long. But do right. you feel like do you feel like Doncic is ready to take that next step? On, on a team that's going to be playing meaningful basketball into the spring, or is there still some polish that needs to happen for him? Nah, man, I think it's happening now, right before our eyes, to be honest with you. You know, I saw the other night uh, that they were playing the Pelicans in New Orleans, and New Orleans got on them early. I mean, just blasted them early on. The next thing you know, that fourth quarter comes, and I want to say that Porzingis, like you were talking about, you know, his, his supposed uh, – his, his supposed issues with uh, rim protection. Shoot, man, I think he had like three blocks in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And Doncic, Doncic, I mean, he had – just in that fourth quarter alone, I probably saw four or five passes from him where I was just like, whoa, like he's nasty, man. I didn't, I didn't know he was as good as he is. And, no, I, I'm with you. I think that, that Dallas is going to be very good too. And, you know, you, you were talking about like these top six teams or whatever, and, you know, we all have – these teams that we think can be there at the end. And the thing is, is there's going, in my opinion, there's going to be some teams that we expected to be there that won't be there. And, you know, I don't know who that is. Like, I think that the Blazers are sort of a prime candidate to be one of those teams that maybe they won't, uh, you know, they won't necessarily live up to expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they would, that that's going to happen, but I'm saying they seem like a prime candidate to be one of those teams because, You know, like you said, the West is, is nice right now. And even New Orleans, man, you know, New Orleans' record is not 
indicative of, of the type of team that they have out there right now. I mean, they've been playing without Zion, and then, you know, uh, Drew Holiday's been hurt too. Yeah. And, man, uh, Brandon Ingram, man, I, I don't know how much attention you've been paying, but he's yeah. been playing his butt off, man. He's been playing his butt off. And, you know, you can tell he's playing with the chip on his shoulder because of, you know, getting traded from the Lakers and everything and the contract stuff. I'm telling you, man, that dude is going to open some eyes this year. And the thing is, is they don't have Zion. They don't have Drew. But if they can find a way to sort of just kind of, you know, just kind of rally the troops and, and just play 500 basketball until Zion and, you know, until they're, they're fully healthy, I think they're going to be good too. I was telling somebody, you know, that the way the league shifted in the summer made for so much more intriguing regular season basketball. Like last few years, the Warriors are – clear favorites to win this whole thing. And, you know, when you win three out of five, I don't think it's even up for debate that that's the case. But it was never a situation where I was looking as deep down the ladder on either side, east or west, and saying to myself, well, what is this – which one of these teams has, a, has an opportunity to move into a championship space or to compete or to play at a high level? And then this summer we get all of this movement, Mike. And, and I'm thinking this is the first time – in all the years I've been covering the league where I was this confident that there would be a legitimate seven or eight teams that could get to the finals and any number of them could win it. I, I didn't even see Toronto coming last year. Of course, they made moves throughout the course of the season, so we don't know who will be on which rosters. But can you remember a time when there was this many teams who had a legitimate shot and not that pie-in-the-sky training camp Oh, you know what I mean? Like a real yeah. The, 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 the training camp preview, the training camp preview <laughs> quote. Yeah, <everybody. laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. No, that, this talking is about winning championships in, in in training camp. Everybody, right, right, right. No, I'm with you. I think we all said it when we saw the movement, the player movement over the summer. I think everybody was saying like, "Wow, it's wide open now." But you know, it really is. And, and the thing is, is that it, I mean, you know, for the last four or five years, it's just been, you know. Golden State. Who's going to be Golden State? Who has a chance to be Golden State? We were going into every season saying, which team has the best chance to un unseat the Warriors, you know? Right now, the juggernauts look like, at least in the West, it looks like uh, Houston and the uh, Los Angeles Clippers right now. Yeah. But as you know, you know, the, the NBA season is, a, is one of attrition. So, you know, a lot of it is going to come down to, you know, who's healthy, who happens to be playing the best basketball at the right time, you know, and it's nice to see those types of things be, you know, the, the, the things that, that determine, you know, what these teams do as opposed to, golly, you know, can we get lucky and beat, and beat the Warriors, <laughs> you know, can, can we luck up somehow? And that is not, that's not the case anymore. You know, it's going to be a, a lot of competitive basketball, early on and like you said the regular season is a lot more intriguing and these games I think mean so much more now you know it, like with the the NBA the season is so long you know you can and eh, you can lose a game here and there it's not like that now you know like and with I'm looking at the Spurs and I'm like you know they're doing what the Spurs do you know you beat the teams you're supposed to be you know and you and you win at home and stuff like that and by doing that, like at the end, when when the, the when everything matters, when you're trying to fight for playoff positioning, you're in a good spot. You know what I mean? And so now I think it comes down to that, like these early games. And you know that's why I keep saying about New Orleans, man. Like if they can, if they can just sort of weather the storm while their guys are out, I think they're going to be in, in a great position because 
they got a really good team, man. I mean, I know the record doesn't say it, but from what I've seen, they, they look good. You live in, in the San Antonio area, so I, I think it would be appropriate to ask this question. I'm thinking about it, wondering about it. What And, and not the organization. I know that Pop and, and RC and everybody, they've, they've made peace with Kawhi since his departure and everybody's – no, I don't think they have. Really? I don't think they have, Seiko. Oh, no. no. I, I no. They, that's good to no. know. I, I'm wondering, like, what's – Kawhi goes off and wins the championship in Toronto. Did that sting in San Antonio? Did people look at it and cringe? Absolutely. I mean, really? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I can't go into detail as, as yeah. far as, like, the people I've talked to, but – no, there are some real movers and shakers, decision makers in that organization that were not happy to see Kawhi do that. Wow. Because, you know, they're like, man, Kawhi, he should have been with us. He should have been with us. And look, <laughs> watch the Spurs. Like, if you watch the Spurs right now, when you're watching them right now, look at them. And, and then imagine Kawhi with that group. You got to remember everything that the Spurs were – all the stuff that they were doing up to this point was trying to build a team that they could put around Kawhi. And now they finally got that team, but they don't have Kawhi. So yeah, no, that that that's that it's a sore subject for the Spurs, man. They they're wow. still, you know, yeah, man, because they hated the way he left. And then, yeah. not only that, they still really don't know how it got to that I point. Down, yeah, yeah. It's it's weird because yeah. they do. I saw Pop this summer in L.A. at uh, USAB, and his his whole demeanor was like so fresh and. Upbeat. It was before they went over to China and whatever, you know, yeah. it didn't meddle and all that stuff. But I was I was kind of taken aback at just how laid back and cool he was. I was like, wow, Pop seems like he's in a really good mood. Like, And I'm thinking I would have the, what you're talking about. I'd still be salty in my head about no, yeah. winning the championship. But they played it smooth. I was curious, though. I was wondering what that looked like. To I know the fans are going to be salty. That's just a given. But I was wondering what that looked like on the street in San Antonio. Like, oh, you know, they're, they're salty. Yeah. Yeah, they're salty. But, like, Pop, I would say I would not include Pop in that group. Yeah. You also have to kind of look at Pop's life circumstances, you know. Mm-hmm. Over the last couple of years, he's had a really rough go. I mean, you know, he, he, he lost his wife, you know. And then, you know, and as a matter of fact, because, like, when media day started up, that was one of the questions, like, Pop, how are you doing? You know, you've had a rough go. How are you? And he was just telling us, he was like, you know, all of us go through things in life or whatever. And, you know, it's always great to have friends and people that support you and love you and stuff like that. And, you know, if the worst thing that ever happens to you is losing a basketball game or not winning the championship, if that's the worst thing that happens to you, then you've had a great life. And so, you know, that's just Pop's. Pop has that, that life perspective about him. So, no, he's not going to be too salty about it. But I guarantee you, there's plenty of people in that organization that are did not like to see Kawhi winning another championship with another team. Wow, that's interesting, man. I, I, I was on my mind, too. I was like, I'm going to make, make it a point to, to ask you about that because I was really wondering, you know, teams are good about putting on the, good, you know, the, the, the right face about things. But right. you always wonder behind – Behind closed doors, is it, is it a sore thing? And I, and I would be fuming. I'm telling you, if if I'm a Spurs fan or a part of that organization, and I watched what Kawhi became once he left, oh man, I'm talking. You're talking sick because mm-hmm. I was I was telling somebody this, Mike, earlier in the year. There was a time when people were trying to 
make this argument that, well, man, Kawhi is right there. You know, he surpassed everybody. He's the best player. And this was during the playoffs last year in the lead up to the finals. Even after he won MVP of the finals, I was still pushing back. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then I watched that opening night game between the Clippers and the Clippers. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Maybe – I was like, this dude might be the alpha right now in the league. And I'm not – I'm I'm here for it. I, you know, I, I do the MVP ladder all season long. It will – those thoughts and feelings will be reflected, obviously. But he looks like he's assumed that position to me. Mike, I don't know what it looks like to you. He looks like he's sitting on top of that mountain right now. Bro, I'm, I'm totally with you there because – with Kawhi, like, let's go over maybe, like, the last four years or so. About the last four years, there was always Kawhi might be the best two-way player in the league, but there's this, but there's that. You know, it, one, it, one year it was, uh, he, he's, he's great, best two-way player in the league, but he could get, his handles could get better. Yeah. Or his playmaking skills can get better. And, he, but, and you say that, and, and then when you say it, like, that next year he comes back, his handles are tight. Uh, his playmaking, like right now, his playmaking is the best I've seen it. Like he continues to ascend. And so, man, I, like right now, I, I'm still not sure that we are seeing the best Kawhi Leonard that, that, that he can be. I don't think we're, I don't think he's peaked yet. And, you know, a lot of it, a, a lot of it, I know it's scary, right? And a lot of it is, is, is circumstance, you know, because in San Antonio, he wasn't the guy. I mean, he was the guy, but they were sort of gradually grooming him to be what he is right now. That's what they were grooming him to be. And then he goes to Toronto. Well, he's got a great point guard in Kyle uh, Lowry. So, you know, that guy, Kyle is making all – he's the playmaker in that offense. And now he's with, with the Clippers, and he's unquestionably the guy. And so now you're seeing other elements of Kawhi's game sort of surface. And, man, I think the sky's the limit for him. And once he – I mean, think about this. We're watching the Clippers right now, and, and Paul George is on the bench watching them. Yeah. Yeah, no PG. And, and they are destroying people like this. I'm telling you, that's a scary team, man. And a scary team. And, you know, they're sort of different than, than the norm, uh, you know, like what we're used to. You know, we're used to seeing, you know, we're used to seeing offense. Offense, offense, offense. Yeah. Not this team. This team got a bunch of dogs on it, and they play defense. And so that's kind of fun to watch. Like, it. I'm not going to say – I'm not comparing them to the, the old Detroit Pistons, mm-hmm. but but that they won in a different kind of way, and I think that that's how the Clippers is. I think that's what the Clippers will end up doing too. They'll win in a different way that, that we're all used to. Yeah, they're, they're built for winning in that style, man. It's, it's, it's going to be fun, man. Um, and, and like I said, I, I'm, I'm very grateful that, that you are on, on our team, man, because this gives us somebody else with – a wealth of knowledge and a great perspective on the league, man. It's been fun reading your stuff already. Um, you know, so keep grinding, try and get a little rest. No more of these five and six nights, man. The league is, the league is trying to institute <laughs> some, some rest policies. You did not get that rest to kick it off, but hopefully no, you know, no. Yeah, but I'll be good here. Like here in the next, I'll take a, a quick little breather and then get right back on the grind, man. But to be honest, I'm glad to, to be here. You know, I mean, I'm working with some of the best in the business. And, I mean, gosh, man, look at Sean Powell's story on Kawhi oh, Leonard's man. father yesterday. Unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah. I'm sitting at the airport reading that thing, and I'm like, oh, man. And, like, I was just – I was hooked immediately. And I'm just – you know, I ended up reading that story about three or four times. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. 
You know, and like to be working with guys like that, man, that's a dream come true. So I'm happy to be, can't wait. I mean, to be honest, yes, I did not get the rest, but at the same time, man, hey, I, I don't care about the rest because I'm having so much fun doing it. No doubt, man. We appreciate it, Mike. Look, we'll be checking back in with you throughout the season, man, on the podcast. See you on NBA TV and uh, keep grinding, doing your thing. Everybody, make sure you check out Mike's stuff um, on NBA.com. And that story that you mentioned, Sean Powell did about Kawhi and his father and, and it's it's such an unbelievable read, and and it crosses so many different lines. Not even just about sports. It's just it's a life story. I, I send it out to all the people, all my friends and family members who don't even care about the NBA. I wanted to make sure they read that kind of stuff, man. That's it's kind of quality content you're gonna get on NBA.com. So appreciate you, Mike. We'll, we'll check in later, man. Keep doing your thing. We'll be reading. We'll be watching. All right, my man. Can't say enough about both our guests this week. Appreciate Michael Wright from NBA.com joining us for the first time here on the podcast. Jamal Crawford, one of our oldest and dearest friends here on the show. Always appreciate his conversation, his passion and love for the game. You can check that out on this edition of the Hangtime Podcast. And speaking of podcasts, there's a new show on the block. Kristen Ledlow and Candace Parker. Ledlow and Parker the hottest new podcast out there. Subscribe as well. They got Kobe Bryant as their debut guest. Drop the mic, ladies. Awesome stuff. Make sure you tune in and make sure you join us right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker, our views on the league that leads the conversation around sports culture. Hear from some of our favorite friends and voices from around the sports industry. Dropping every Tuesday during the NBA regular season. Follow along on all NBA on TNT social platforms. And make sure to subscribe to Ledlow and Parker wherever you get your podcasts.